The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five and five. The consumer in focus today. It's a big day with big-name retailers like Target and Lowe's set to roll out their quarterly results. And warning, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen telling lawmakers to raise the debt limit or face a potential U.S. default by the middle of next month. And the EV race, shares of Lucid and Rivian just taking off, speeding past the market values of some old school automakers and the battle against COVID. The FDA reportedly looking to authorize a Pfizer booster shot for all adults as soon as tomorrow. And another sign it's becoming a crypto world and we're just all living in it. Wait until you see how LA's Staples Center is being rebranded in one of the largest deals of its kind Ever. It is Wednesday, November 17th, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and happy Wednesday. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Here is how your money and the global markets are setting up their day. Let's take a look at the stock futures first and foremost. We're seeing here uh, a bit of a mixed picture. The S&P and the Dow Jones flat to slightly lower. The Nasdaq moving higher this morning. Uh, as we said before, the consumer again is in focus today. Home Depot, a big winner yesterday, closing up nearly 6% and helping drive the Dow higher. Target and Lowe's are two big box retailers that we know we're all going to be watching today. Hard to even get it out. Excited for that Christmas shopping. Now, if we look at the Treasury yields up, oh, we're actually going to start off with oil. Right now, we're seeing WTI and Brent crude both down just about a percent. Natural gas down about 2% right now. And we also want to watch October building permits. And housing starts that data out at 8.30 Eastern. And as I already mentioned, oil prices are lower. Analysts pointing to a bigger drawdown than expected in U.S. gasoline stocks. And then last week, that pressure that could put the Biden administration or at least force or potentially force the Biden administration to release its emergency reserves. All right, time to go worldwide right now. after a little bit of tongue-tying our Juliana Tattlebaum, she's going to speak much more clearly from our London newsroom. Juliana, a lot of big economic data breaking this morning. Good morning to you. That's right, Frank, and I will do my best. No promises. Well, the big data point in focus today here in the U.K. is the Consumer Price Index for October. U.K. inflation hit a 10-year high in October, with consumer price increases accelerating 4.2% on the year compared to 3.1% last month. Now, that reading exceeded all analyst estimates polled by the Bank of England and Reuters and will pile even more pressure on the Bank of England to hike rates when it meets again in mid-December. Here's the reaction in sterling. At the moment, we're essentially flat versus the U.S. dollar. We did see a, a spike in sterling on the immediate back of that news. Now the gains have tempered somewhat. We're currently trading around the 134 level. Broadening it out to European markets, this is the picture for equity markets in Europe this morning. The stock 600 continuing higher, currently about 13 basis points or so to just under 490. So another a positive start to the trading session. Yesterday, the stock 600 hit an all-time high, posting its 16th positive session in the last 
lost 18. So it has been an incredibly strong run for European markets, and the strength is continuing today. Um, from a sector perspective, this is what the picture looks like. We've got a split board, but obviously the gainers outpacing the losers. Media up about seven-tenths of a percent. Technology, healthcare, and retail. On the downside, we've got travel and leisure underperforming down about 1.25%. There is some concern building around renewed restrictions in continental Europe as COVID cases rise. Oil and gas also trading on the back foot down about four-tenths of a percent. Autos and telecoms. And we'll just highlight from a regional perspective, the FTSE 100 is underperforming this morning on the back of that early strength in sterling. Frank, we'll hand it back over to you. Juliana, you delivered as promised. Much better. Saving the show right there. <laughs> Lady in red. Thank you. All right. Now that some of this morning's other top <laughs> headlines are Bertha Coombs is here with those. Good morning to you, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says December 15th is the new date to watch in terms of a potential U.S. default. In a letter to lawmakers, Yellen says the Treasury would be left with insufficient resources to keep financing the government beyond that date. Yellen's new date is actually 12 days later than the December 3rd deadline she had provided in a letter to Congress in mid-October. That letter was based on the fact that Congress had just passed the $480 billion increase to the debt limit as a stopgap measure. Disney shut down its Hong Kong theme park today after a visitor tested positive for COVID-19. The closure of the park, which is majority owned by the city government, will give it time to test employees and uh, is out of what they call an abundance of caution. Any person who visited that park on November 14th between 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. will also have to be tested. Hong Kong Disneyland has been plagued with multiple extended closures since the start of the pandemic. And another day, another Tesla stock sale. This time, CEO Elon Musk offloading another $973 million in stock yesterday, bringing his total now to $8.8 billion over the past seven days. Now, assuming Musk intends to sell the full 10% of his shares, as he promised to do in that weekend tweet, he's now about halfway there. And looks like market starting to take that in stride, Frank. Yeah, those are uh, billionaire problems, uh, Bertha. You and I just can't relate. Right. <laughs> Our Bertha Coombs, thank you again. All right, back to the markets now. Investors are making their biggest bets on U.S. stocks in eight years as worries about growth begin to ease. The latest survey from Bank of America finds global fund managers are 29% overweight U.S. equities. That's the highest reading since 2013. Roughly two-thirds expect a global economic boom over the next 12 months, and 61% say Inflation is transitory. We've heard that before. But inflation still still tops their list of the biggest tailwinds, followed by rate hikes by central banks and by China. Let's uh, we are going to have much, much more on the markets ahead when we come back. Twitter rolling out new warning labels on false and misleading tweets. We have those details coming up next. Plus, EV startups Lucid and Rivian, they continue to speed past traditional automakers. The latest on those very hot stocks. And later is a new Fed chair in the cards. President Biden says he will make his final decision in the next few days. We're going to bring you the latest from Washington. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. We're going to begin with Lazy Boy. Those shares you can see up just about 7%. The retailer reporting higher second quarter profit and sales on strong consumer demand for home furniture. The company is warning of headwinds with continued supply chain disruptions, including from COVID-related shutdowns in Vietnam. Stock two, that is Twitter, the social media giant. Its shares right now unchanged. It's rolling out new warning labels on false and misleading tweets. They've been redesigned to make them more effective and less confusing, adding orange and red so they stand out more than the old version, which was blue. Twitter says the new labels have shown a 17% increase in click-through rate. That means more people clicked on them to read information debunking false or misleading posts. Finally, Rivian and Lucid. Shares of electric car makers continue to rise this morning following their recent market listings. You can see right now, Lucid up almost 7%, Rivian up over 2%. Rivian has now overtaken Volkswagen and market cap. It's doubled in value to $153 billion since going public just last week. Lucid, it surpassed Ford after announcing orders for its first car had jumped to 17000 Lucid's market cap is roughly $91 billion, about $12 billion more than Ford. All right, now, take a look at this wall right here. Three of China's biggest tech giants are reporting earnings this week. That's Baidu, Alibaba, and JD.com. The results come against the backdrop of continued scrutiny of the sector by Chinese regulators. A new privacy rule curbing data collection by tech companies went into effect this month. Some investors have been shying away from Chinese stocks. Check out the K-Web, the Crane Shares China Internet ETF. It is down more than 30% this year. But is it now safe to dip your toes back in those market waters? Let's bring Cyrus Mayawala, head of investment research at Global Data. Cyrus, I got to apologize. I'm sorry about that. I'm going to work on it. Good morning. Thanks for being here. That was perfect. Thank you. Thank you for calling me. So we were just talking about the K-Web right there, down about 30% over the year, but over the last week, up about 5%. Are investors deciding that now is the time to get back in the Chinese market, that the restrictions may not be as negative as we once thought they were, or is this more buying the dip? I think in the short term, the, the, the regulatory risks in China's tech market still exist. Uh, the, the regulatory clampdown that started about a year ago came completely out of the blue, but it was done for the right reasons. Uh, you know, Chinese tech companies essentially have been told now that they have to follow the Chinese government's policy, which is to ensure social cohesion, to ensure equality of income and things that keep the, the Communist Party uh, in power. Uh, in the long term, however, uh, I think uh, if you believe uh, that uh, China is going to be a, a, the global superpower by, say, 2040. Uh, and if you are purely motivated by the profit motive, then I think you have no option but to get into the Chinese tech market now because it's relatively cheap compared to what it was a year back. So let's talk about we have some big earnings coming up later today. We just mentioned them, Alibaba, JD.com, huge Chinese tech companies. What are you expecting in not only their performance, but also their guidance and commentary about these restrictions? 
I think Alibaba and JD.com shows two sides of, the, of China's tech sector. So JD.com essentially followed the rules. They, for example, paid their workers well. They paid national security issues before the tech regu regulation uh, came down hard on them. Uh, Alibaba was purely driven by the profit motive. And therefore, Alibaba's share price got punished a lot more than, say, JD. Uh, JD.com. In the future, I think, you know, both companies are well positioned uh, because remember, uh, China's just had a tech uh, crackdown in the last uh, year. But, you know, is, is the risk of regulatory crackdown in the West uh, any less? And I would suggest uh, it's not. I would suggest the same issues are driving political pressures uh, in the US and in Europe, issues like income inequality, data privacy, these kind of issues, uh, antitrust issues, anti-competitive issues. Uh, and there could be a regulatory uh, crackdown in the West. What China has shown is that you can crack down on the tech sector. Remember, people have been talking about this for years, for decades, that, that tech is out of control, but regulators have not acted. What China has shown is that you can regulate. Yeah, China certainly has regulated. Now, I, I see your point about a similar uh, environment as, as far as people talking about cracking down on tech, both in China and the U.S., but certainly the Chinese government has taken a lot more action. They've been especially vocal in taking actions when it comes to video games and online education. Those have, have really seemed to, to bear the brunt of some of these restrictions. In fact, uh, the president of Tencent calling these crackdowns, these restrictions, whatever we want to call them, the new normal. So if this is definitely the new normal, are there other sectors in Chinese tech that are that have some protection from these crackdowns, it may be a safer investment? I think the answer is we just don't know. If I was forced to make a decision, then I would say the two sectors within Chinese tech that are ripe for growth at the moment, given these uncertainties in regulation, are electric vehicles with everything that's going on with COP26 and so on, and also the Chinese semiconductor sector, which is one of the weakest, which is really the weakest link in China's tech armor. And therefore, it's where a lot of investment, I think, is going to go in. So, Cyrus, one last question before we let you go. T. Rowe Price in his annual Global Outlook says the near-term volatility from regulatory crackdowns in China creates an attractive investment opportunity heading into next year. They're citing strong GDP growth at 5 percent, solid exports. Do you share that opinion that right now these Chinese stocks are attractive? And for how long of a horizon do you see that being attractive if you share that opinion? I think uh, in the short term, let's say over the next year, they're extremely risky. But, but a lot of that risk also applies to tech in the West at, at, at these valuations. On a longer term, say on a 10-year view, I think now is a great time to invest in China's tech on the assumption that you believe that uh, uh, China will be the global superpower by 2040 or, or 2050, and also on the assumption that you are disregarding ESG issues. So remember, the big theme in the West is environmental, social governance, Investors like BlackRock have said they're going to penalize companies for not uh, complying with uh, their ESG uh, uh, policies. Uh, and China, Chinese tech companies are not known for being the best at ESG. So that could, that's my disclaimer. But overall, I think it's, uh, Chinese tech is cheap. All right, Cyrus, thank you so much for being here. I'm just going to call you Cyrus M from now on. I don't want to mess up that last name again. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for the insight. Thanks Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, why all adults could soon be rolling up their sleeves for COVID boosters. A rolling from the FDA on the Pfizer shot said to be just days away. Stay tuned. Today's big number, 66%. That's the share of the largest U.S. publicly traded companies that have reported larger profit margins so far this year than in the same period in 2019. 
according to Fact Set. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on the morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Menes in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Frank. Good morning. The jury will continue deliberations today in the homicide trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Critics pointing out the unusual move to have Rittenhouse, the defendant, randomly choose the six juror alternates. Many law experts saying they've always seen a courtroom clerk draw the names. Rittenhouse was 17 years old when he opened fire on three people, killing two during protests following a police shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in August of last year. He's charged with five felony counts, including first-degree intentional homicide. The House is set to vote today on a resolution to censure Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar for posting a violent altered anime video to his official social media accounts last week. It depicts the Republican killing Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and attacking President Biden with swords. Lawmakers will also consider a motion to remove Gosar from his assignments on the House Oversight and House and Natural Resources Committees. Gosar has since deleted those posts, but he didn't apologize, calling it a metaphor for immigration policy. Britney Spears bears all on Twitter, opening up about the little ways her life has changed after her 13-year conservatorship and hinting at a possible tell-all with Oprah. I'm just grateful, honestly, for each day and being able to have um, the keys to my car and being able to be independent and feel like a woman and um, owning an ATM card, seeing cash for the first time, being able to buy candles. Spears says she hopes her story can help others. So far, no confirmation from Winfrey on whether that interview will happen. Finally, if you drink coffee or tea to get your morning started, well, a new study suggests you may be lowering your risk of stroke and dementia with every cup. According to a UK biobank study, those who drank two to three cups of coffee or tea daily had a 32% lower risk of stroke. They also had a 28% lower risk of dementia compared with those who did not drink tea or coffee. How about that, Frank? Back to you. Philip, are you a coffee or a tea drinker? Uh, I drink both. It's usually coffee uh, when I'm working here, but I, I like both, to be honest with you. So sounds like I'm doing well for myself in yeah, terms of health. You're going to live a long, study. healthy life. I may need to pick up a cup of some coffee. I've never drink coffee or tea, but maybe I need to start. That sounds like it's a good idea, doesn't it? All right, Philip Menace, stay brain strong. Keep drinking that coffee and tea. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks. All man. right, coming up, there is no part of the economy crypto is not touching right now. We'll tell you how it's hitting the sports world. 
in big letters and even bigger money. That's coming up next. And if you haven't already followed our podcast, if you miss Worldwide Exchange, you miss Big Papa Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps and Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. Yesterday it was Home Depot and Walmart. Today, Target and Lowe's are on top of investors' minds and earnings, and the consumer continue to drive the market action. We speak to top-ranked retail analyst Scott Mushkin on his ex- expectations for the sector ahead. Democrats taking a page from the Mad Men of Madison Avenue, betting on a massive messaging overhaul when it comes to their $1.75 trillion social spending package. The key word, inflation bust. I guess that's a phrase. And 20 years and $700 million, say goodbye to the Staples Center and say hello to the Crypto.com arena. It is Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I'm Frank Collin in for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan. Checking stock futures halfway through the 5 a.m. hour, at least here in the New York City area. We're looking right here, kind of a mixed picture with futures. The S&P and the Dow Jones down fractionally. The Nasdaq up fractionally. Not a lot of movement right there. We're also continuing to watch those wild moves in the crypto world as Bitcoin falls below that 59,000 mark right now. You see right now Bitcoin down a percent. Uh, Ripple actually up fractionally, but Ether and Litecoin both down. This actually comes after Chinese state planners said they're going to continue to watch and, quote unquote, clean up crypto mining in that country. Now let's get more on the trading day ahead. Much more with Mark Avalon, president of, Potom- of Potomac Wealth Advisors. I'm really tongue-tied today, Mark. I might need to get some coffee. I don't know if you were listening earlier. It might help me out. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Always good to be here. So let's look ahead. We have some really big retail earnings coming up later today. Probably the highlight is Target. Yesterday, we had Walmart and Home Depot. Both of them knocked the ball out of the park. What are you expecting with Target coming up today? Well, I expect more of the same. And, and one of the other good points about Target is that they, they've tried to take control of their supply chain. And I think that that's one of the bigger risks that uh, re- retailers are going to face. And when you look at a company like Target, very forward thinking, early with the Omni Channel, very proactive management, I expect that they're going to try real hard to minimize the disruptions in the supply channel. If I saw one blip of negativity in those strong Home Depot numbers, it was the number of trips decline. Sure, average basket size was up and we know revenue and earnings and and average ticket was up, but the number of trips was down. And when you have higher oil prices, that does eventually hit uh, consumers. There are some other warning signs out there, but that's what struck me as something that was pretty much overlooked in those Home Depot numbers. Have parallel days. Yesterday was Walmart and Home Depot. Today it's Target and actually Lowe's. I should have mentioned that earlier. Do you see Lowe's seeing that same kind of performance that we saw from Home Depot? Yeah, Lowe's and Home Depot are both benefiting from what we see as a, a huge uh, home renovation boom. And, and it's not really going to stop. People bought houses. And when you buy a house, it takes months and sometimes even longer for it to be upgraded or if you have a second home. So this isn't a one and done. This isn't a monthly change thing. These projects take for, for quite some time. It's really hard to hire contractors and they're going out when I'm, we're actually looking for some work and they're telling us to wait months. It's not weeks and some deliveries 
could be even into a year. So I don't think this is a short-term cycle. I think retailers are going to be strong. The consumer is strong. Household debt levels at, at a near all-time low. Household net worth at an all-time high. Wage gains, 4 5%. Haven't seen that in decades. Several years of wage right. gains now. So the consumer is strong. They're spending money. Americans spend money. I think that's the bright spot in the economy and an optimistic point for for investors. Mark, I hate to cut you off. Before we let you go, I want to hit on something. Cycles. You mentioned cycles just then. You also, um, in your research, are hitting on some other cycles. You say we're having three years of double-digit gains for the market. Uh, You say double-digit gains for a fourth year would hit some historical precedents, including the period between 96 and 99, right before the dot-com bubble burst. Are you saying that this might be an indicator that we're in for another bubble bursting or is it just unlikely? The fundamentals are unlikely for a fourth year of double digit gains. Well, the, the prior time was 1949 to 53, and that was followed by a good market. So I don't want to be Dr. Doom and Gloom, but I think investors need to realize that this is not going to continue. Wall Street's not a one way street. There's been a bit of euphoria a set of perfect uh, events. The Fed has been incredibly accommodating. And to think we're going to get a fourth year of double-digit gains really defies history, other than the post-World War II trend. And the most recent time, it did end very badly. So I think new money should be careful. And people shouldn't just jump in because it's a great party right now. It's really late. I think it's getting close to closing time, and people need to be prudent. Mark Avalon, Wall Street's a one-way. I'm going to steal that and tweet that out later and take credit for it. That's a great quote. Appreciate you being here, man. Thank you. All right, let's Good get to, to some here. of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here. Bertha, you got a line I can steal and tweet out? <laughs> well, wait till the end here. Morning, Frank. The FDA is reportedly aiming to authorize the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 booster shot for all adults as soon as tomorrow. That, according to The New York Times, the move would expand the number of eligible Americans by tens of millions. A special CDC independent committee has a meeting scheduled for this Friday to discuss the booster's efficacy and safety. This coming as Pfizer says it has asked regulators to authorize its oral COVID-19 pill for use in high-risk patients by the end of the year. Testing found that pill to be 89% effective at reducing risk of hospitalization and death from COVID when taken soon after diagnosis. And President Biden says he will make his final decision on a Fed chair nomination in about four days. The new comments from the president come after White House officials last week said Mr. Biden was still weighing whether to keep Jay Powell around for a second term as Fed chairman or elevate Fed Governor Lael Brainerd to the post. And it's a new era, folks. The Staples Center in Los Angeles will be renamed the Crypto.com Arena under a 20-year, $700 million naming rights agreement between the cryptocurrency platform and AEG. And what is one of the largest deals of its kind ever, the official home of the NBA's Lakers and Clippers, the NHL's Kings, and the WNBA's Sparks will officially be renamed on Christmas Day. A new logo will be unveiled that day when the Lakers host the Brooklyn Nets. 20,000-seat Staples Center opened its doors back in 1999. Crypto.com's CEO will be on Tech Check today to discuss the deal. You know, 1999, Frank, 1999-2000, we saw the sock puppet and Pets.com do a Super Bowl ad. <laughs> so being able to spend money like that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to last forever. 
but it certainly puts a real kind of, you know, little uh, right. pin there as a moment. But I was not expecting you to pull a sock puppet from a Super Bowl commercial back in 1999, Bertha. <laughs> Great stuff as always. Thank you. Well, this is kind of what it reminds me of. And I wonder, is this is this one of those sort of peak moments or are we just moving into a new era where crypto has really arrived? Uh, we have to wait and see. Christmas Day is going to be a big day. Great game, by the way. Uh, Brooklyn Nets and Lakers play. I'm excited for that. Our, yeah. our Bertha Coons with the very latest. Thank you. All right, turning our attention now to the nation's capital, Washington. Senate Democrats are now hoping to pass President Biden's Build Back Better social spending plan before Christmas. This as the House aims to approve the $1.75 trillion measure by the end of this week. Our own Alon Moy is here with the timeline and the new messaging Democrats are hoping uh, to sell to voters ahead of the midterms. The key word here, Alon, inflation. I can't talk today, Alon. I'm sorry. Inflation. That's the key word. <laughs> That's that's, Democrats don't want you to talk about inflation, Frank. That's why. Because they have been criticized for how much their social spending package costs. And now they're trying to turn the tables and focus on how it lowers costs for working families. Listen to President Biden hammering home this new messaging around his economic agenda during a trip to New Hampshire yesterday. 14 Nobel laureates in, in economics said it'll actually bring down the cost. It will reduce the deficit. And it was totally paid for, and it's going to reduce inflation. Now, those economists that he's referring to include, include Joseph Stiglitz, Paul Romer, and George Akerlof, husband of Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. And they argue that because the bill invests in long-term economic capacity and will enhance the ability of more Americans to participate productively in the economy, it will ease longer-term inflationary pressures. Now, Democrats like to cite an analysis by Moody's that shows this package would boost GDP and create jobs. But that same report projects that inflation would be higher in 2022 and 2023 if this bill is passed by as much as half a percentage point in the middle of next year. Now, Moody's calls concerns about runaway inflation overdone and points out that higher inflation is a side effect of a stronger economy. But soaring prices are clearly proving to be a political risk for Democrats, Frank, and Republicans are already calling this Bidenflation. Back to you. You know, I got to ask, Alana, um, obviously this bill took a lot longer to pass than the Biden administration hoped. It's now pushed right into that midterm season. Is this going to hurt Democrats in some key states? Yes. Yeah, so that's what Republicans are hoping for and certainly what Democrats are worried about. Democrats have struggled to really define what their social spending package is all about. And that's led so much of the focus to be on the price tag. Originally $3.5 trillion. Some Democrats wanted it to be as high as $6 trillion. And that was really the wrong message for a time when consumers and households were seeing prices start to soar. So right now, Democrats sort of feel like, you know, all of this inflation, not entirely their fault here. But I can tell you that if inflation does start to ease next year, Democrats are going to want to take credit for that as well. There you go. Alon Moore with the very latest from Washington. We appreciate it. All right. The retail earnings break continues this morning with heavyweights, Target and Lowe's reporting before the bell. This coming after top and bottom line beats from the likes of Walmart and Home Depot yesterday that helped to lift the broader market. But as we await the numbers, a number of headwinds we have to list. Number one, according to Refinitiv, negative warnings from retailers, they far outweighed positive pre-announcements by a count of 11 to 4. Whether that means the bar has been lowered to set up beats or an overall more negative sentiment, that remains to be seen. Two, supply chain and freight costs remain a problem, but stronger demand during the summer and favorable pricing over the past three months 
may be good enough to overcome those issues, at least for now. And three, consumer expectations for the future are now at their lowest level of the year. Thank inflation for that. So while the past three months have been fine, what does all this mean for forward-looking guidance and the all-important holiday quarter? Let's bring in long-term retail industry analyst and R5 Capital CEO, Scott Mushkin. Scott, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So we just mentioned this. Walmart and Home Depot, huge quarters as the consumer just continues to spend and spend and spend. How do you see Target's number shaping up today's, Lowe's number shaping up today? And how do you see the guidance, especially going into the holiday quarter? Has all the spending already been done? I don't think so. I mean, this holiday is probably going to be a blowout here. Uh, Listening to a couple of guests before, and they talked about 22 being the question mark. And I think that's the question mark. We think holiday is going to be really strong, particularly for these large companies that have been able to get their goods uh, here to the U.S. You know, Walmart talked about it. They've been renting ships. They've been getting it here. Uh, uh, almost, you know, through any means possible. Walmart's really well positioned for the holiday. We think Target is. Uh, Home Depot certainly was an incredible quarter. And the same goes for Lowe's. Um, And also say Costco. All these big retailers are really set up well. So we've been looking at the XRT retail ETF. That's up uh, more than doubling the market over the last month. A lot of people have uh, done their holiday shopping a little bit earlier this year. This may be one of the few years people actually go out and buy early when they're told to buy early. At the same time, we've seen wages go up by 4%, inflation go up by 6% over the last year. How do you see that setting up our spending uh, during the holiday quarter? Do you see people buying more big-ticket items, smaller items? Do we shift to services? How does this all play out? I mean, I think you're going to see big-ticket. You're going to see small-ticket. A lot of savings built up. I think, again, the question is, how did we proceed with inflation? Inflation is a great regressive tax. Um, obviously, we've been talking about Dollar General and Dollar Tree and Family Dollar. And the low-end consumer really suffers over time, um, or the, even the, uh, you know, the under $50,000 consumer. It, it's really a, a fairly significant tax. They pay a lot more money for rent, for fuel, for food as a percentage of income. But again, the holiday, because there's savings, you know, last holiday was, a, you know, obviously we still have COVID. We still, today we do too, but not to the degree. So I think the holiday is really strong. And maybe the, uh, it's going to be a party, I think. So when we look at these stocks, obviously you're saying sales are going to continue to be strong. But when we look at the stocks, we just showed that performance by the XRT. Are all these holiday sales, are they already priced in? Or is there something that these retailers can do to even outperform the elevated expectations of the market? I mean, I think it, it depends, right? I think we saw two different things yesterday. We saw Home Depot stock move higher. They were able to bring a lot of money to the bottom line. Walmart, on the other hand, didn't, you know, didn't, wasn't able to transfer those higher sales to the bottom line to higher earnings. So I think it depends. How have the costs been handled? Um, freight costs are up. Labor costs are up. Home Depot was, it was kind of incredible to see the numbers they were able to put up with all the pressures. So I think as we see Target report and Lowe's report, People are going to be looking for the same thing. If the companies can bring a lot of money to the bottom line, and Target's been doing that, so is Lowe's. And I think you'll see this, the equities continue to appreciate. Uh, if they're not able to do that, I think investors will be a little bit nervous. Scott, we've got to let you go. But one quick question. I know you've been yeah. visiting a lot of different retail stores. If, when you look at inventory levels, how would you rank it from 1 to 10? You know, again, it depends. Like Walmart, we put as a 10. And those guys have done incredible jobs at, at getting uh, product here. Dollar General's really having a hard time. I was in Chicago yesterday. The Albertsons, the supermarket, really well stocked. Mm-hmm. But you go to other parts of the country, especially with smaller retailers, they're having, you know, they're, they're struggling. Uh, so I think it really depends on retailer to retailer and also region to region. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing. California 
is really struggling getting stuff generally on the shelf, where Chicago was a lot better yesterday. Good to know. Well, Scott, appreciate the insight as always. Scott Mushkin, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, don't miss two interviews coming up later today. First is Target CEO Brian Cornell in an exclusive interview in the 6 a.m. hour. Then later, we're going to hear from Lowe CEO Marvin Ellison. Two great ones and a great read on the consumer for both. All right, coming up, much more on the EV surge and what it could be the new big three when it comes to U.S. automakers, the electrifying story. Coming up. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It was the best-performing PE firm of 2020. Now the head of Francisco Partners is speaking out and deploying new capital in 2022. Our Leslie Picker joins us now. Good morning, Leslie. Hey, good morning, Frank. That's right. For our latest Delivering Alpha newsletter out later today, we sat down with Francisco Partners' DJ Deb, his first ever TV interview. Our conversation comes on the heels, as you mentioned, of his firm notching the top spot last year in an annual ranking of private equity performance. Now, while he was unable to discuss specific return figures, the tech investor attributed his recent success to a buoyant market while noting significant macro risks on the horizon. We're big believers in long-term tech. That doesn't mean you have to be careful. The markets are reasonably frothy today, so you need to pick and choose. Uh, But long-term, I think the trends are inexorable. There's only been four down years in technology in the last 50, and it's grown at double the rate of GDP. I asked Deb exactly where he sees the froth. He said two areas, large-scale software buyouts and late-stage growth investing. Many of the unicorns today are actually disrupting the world and deserve their valuations, but probably, I don't know, 70, 80% of them will have some sort of day of reckoning. They're not all going to disrupt the world. And people are conflating growth and quality. And late stages of a bull market, and perhaps we're in the late stages of a bull market, the growth and quality became conflated. Despite the broader risks he sees, Francisco Partners is reportedly raising a $10 billion fund to add to its $25 billion in AUM. Deb says he sees opportunity to put capital to work in division carve-outs and founder-backed companies. To watch our full interview with Deb or subscribe to our newsletter, go to cnbc.com slash delivering alpha newsletter. Frank. That last bit actually just caught my ear. Why the interest in founder-led companies? Yeah, so that's really interesting. I asked him about that as well, because typically you see uh, more of a VC style investing when a company is founder led. And historically, founders, especially in Silicon Valley, have had this whole ethos of shunning more private equity control style buyouts that Francisco Partners does. He said that ethos is really changing more recently, this idea that they do want to have more of a partner uh, that can kind of take control, change things from a private standpoint as opposed to uh, in the public market. So I thought that was an interesting comment as well. All right, Laura Leslie Picker, that full interview and the delivering alpha section of CNBC.com. We appreciate it. All right, back to a few names we've been watching all week, some red-hot EV stocks. We're talking Tesla, Rivian, and Lucid. All three of them surging in the past week, all up in the pre-market right now, and all with market caps larger than the old big three Take a look at these valuations as of yesterday's close. Now, you see here on the left-hand side, those are the traditional automakers. You see GM, $90 billion, Ford, $79 billion. Um, and then you see Stellantis at $64 billion. And then on the right-hand side, you see these new age, the new age big three potentially, Tesla over a trillion, Rivian at $147 billion, Lucid basically at $90 billion. 
So the question here is, is this recent spike to the upside justified by these EV makers? And do the fundamentals, do they back it up? Let's bring in Tony Shen, SPDB international analyst covering Tesla with a sell rating and a 638 price target. Tony, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. So we're looking at these valuations. Is it justified? Do EVs have that much of an upside, at least here in the near term, to justify the valuations of those companies? So if we look at Tesla's valuation, I think it is overpriced. If we compare Tesla's like PS valuation, it's about like 16 to 18 times. It is much higher than its Chinese peers like Neo or Xpeng. So I do not think the short-term share price can be justified uh, very soon. So, Tony, are you aware of another company called Arrival? It's another EV maker. Uh, they make EVs for a lot of commercial use. How come that company hasn't seen the same kind of gains that we've seen with Rivian when they have very similar business models? Uh, actually, uh, I think uh, not in terms of the company for spe- specific, but for the whole industry, the EV industry is growing very, very fast. And the market size can grow as much as we can expect. So I think it can allow more than Tesla to get into this industry. So much more than three companies. I think that's one of the reasons behind it. So you mentioned that you thought that uh, Tesla was overpriced. How is Elon Musk and his stock selling and some of his tweeting, how has that impacted your view of the company and the stock? Mm. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, it has his own behavior, and his behavior does not have too much relationship with the operation of Tesla. But as for Tesla's fundamentals, I am pretty uh, optimistic it can deliver like over 50% figure in the Kager in the next several years. But in terms of valuation, I think it is overpriced. So when we look at those, the, we're going to call them the old big three. I'm sure those companies would not appreciate being called the old big three. But when we look at those companies, they are in the EV business. Do you see them having the potential to catch up, at least in the minds of investors? Obviously, these companies make many more vehicles than the new big three. But do you see investors kind of buying into their narrative that they're going to be big time EV makers, both for passenger vehicles and also commercial vehicles? Yeah, I think they, have also, they also have a lot of opportunities but their difficulties lies in their balance between their traditional car sales and those new energy vehicle sales. And one more thing is that they also needed to pay attention to the Chinese market because, as we can all see, China market has contributed a large portion of the, in, of the global market. It's about 40 to 50 percent. If the big three can have their cars, has a good sales exposure in the China market, I think their gap between Tesla will be smaller. Yeah, penetrating the Chinese market, a a big deal, I think, for every automaker, especially for these EV automakers. Tony Shen, we appreciate the insight. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Looking for hints on where stocks are headed from here. Take a peek at the options market. We're going to do that just next. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, Big Papa Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Futures looking to add to yesterday's gains as the stocks hover right below record territory. They're just like right there. And when we check the options market, according to RBC, most signs point to even more gains ahead. Joining me now is Amy Wu Silverman, RBC Capital Markets Head of Derivative Strategy. Amy, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. 
So last time you were here, I don't know if you remember this, but your parents, I think they were moving to Florida. They were getting all settled in and comfy. I think that might be Hawaii. A, Hawaii. I knew it was something nice. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere I'd like to go. Really nice. Seems like options traders, they're kind of doing the same thing. They're nice and comfy right now, and they're all about those in-the-money calls. Do you see that changing anytime soon? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I think probably because we're heading into Thanksgiving, too, that's likely to continue for a while. But I don't think that's going to be something permanent, uh, especially, you know, you're already starting to see headlines drip in about the debt ceiling. We're heading towards year end. I do think kind of this level of volatility is is a little bit seasonal, is a little bit related to the holiday, but is probably not something that is going to be staying at this level. So you're saying the volatility like inflation is just transitory? No, I'm just joking. I'm not even asking you to answer that. Um, but on a serious note, um, you're mentioning that there's really low volatility when it comes to stocks. But when it comes to bonds, we're seeing a very different story. Do you see that being a leading indicator for equities? I do. And I actually think that's one of the reasons why equity volatility cannot kind of stay at these levels. Because, you know, look, you're seeing a lot of crypto volatility. You're seeing a lot of bond volatility. And typically, these things are highly correlated. Uh, the fact that we're not seeing a lot of hedging right now, especially with the market at highs, to me, is a little bit concerning, is a little bit pointing to complacency uh, rather than something else. And whenever I see those tail options, the downside that inexpensive, Frank, it always, always makes me wonder if that's an opportunity uh, for investors to get really good leverage to the downside, uh, especially when people aren't paying attention. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Um, obviously, the pricing on in-the-money calls really elevated right now, but people keep piling into it. What are you seeing when it comes to downside protection? Do people want to get on the downside? Because, of course, everything that goes up must come down. <laughs> so I, unless you're, you know, a momentum stock these days, um, you know, I think part of it is when you look to kind of the retail base that has become popularized through trading on Robinhood, through other uh, intermediaries like that, one thing you're seeing is, you know, they really do like those call options uh, versus those put options. We saw Rivian start trading options yesterday. You saw that activity go kind of to the moon right away. And that has had an interesting technical impact on our market because typically our market has more expensiveness on the downside rather than the upside. You know, retail trading has really upended that. But what it's given you is, is an example of a time where you can really sell expensive out-of-money options to a way you really couldn't before to fund downside. That's making a lot of things like callers, for instance, which is a kind of hedging tool, mm -hmm. uh, almost zero cost. So I'm not a big gambler. I don't know about you. Do you ever gamble, Amy? Are you a gambler at all? I'm a poker player. I right. like poker. Okay, I don't gamble yeah. at all. Like, I don't want to lose my money at all. But I have been to a casino, and I watch the roulette table sometimes. And when I see, like, maybe, like, 10 reds in a row, I'm like, I'm going to put a chip on black just because it has to change. With markets near highs, couple-day win streak, just in general, and really strong performance for the markets for the last couple years, does that at all impact uh, people's decisions to buy options, calls, shorts? Does that have a direct impact at all? You know, I, I love that analogy because, you know, you know, the reality is when you look at red and black, if there's a 50-50 chance, but then, you know, you saw it go 10 times and roll, it does have a psychological impact, right? Even though the probabilities are what they are. I do think that impacts people. Uh, but, you know, usually that means that we see when the market continues to make highs for a kind of certain consecutive days, people start saying, oh, maybe I need to put the chip on the other color. Maybe I need to do more hedging uh, in this analogy. And we have not seen that. That's what I think is very interesting about the psychology of the market right now. 
Very interesting. Well, you know what, Amy? I'm never going to te play Texas Hold'em against you. Now I know. You tip me <laughs> off. Thank you, Amy Wolf-Silverman. <laughs> we appreciate you being here. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.